What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Tuesday morning edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by Chris Kirshner of the Athletic, the Atlanta Hawks beat writer with the Athletic. Chris, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you done Christmas shopping, Chris? Um, I actually haven't started yet, so, uh, that would be a no. Oh my God. It is Tuesday, Chris. It is Tuesday. Yep. Okay. But I'm actually going home. I'm going home to my family, uh, probably tomorrow. So it might be a Christmas Eve type of thing where, um, I, I do my shopping then, but we'll see. Have you considered just giving them a gift subscription to theathletic.com? Um, well, my mom doesn't really care about sports, so that'd be an awful gift for her. Mm-hmm. But my dad, my dad is, uh, already a subscriber. Okay. There you go. One for two. That's all you can do. My mom's not either. I don't think my mom's ever read it or listened to anything I've ever done. Um, <laughs> part of the reason I love her. She doesn't give a shit. Um, Chris, the Hawks will win how many games in 2020 and 2021? Well, um, obviously this year is different because they're playing 72 games mm-hmm. instead of the 82, so that has to be factored in. Um, I think they have enough talent now to be a team that's around 500, um, so I would go with 37. I think that will be uh, more than enough to at least be in the playing tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this is, again, a team that hasn't played – at least the guys who are uh, coming back from last year's team, they haven't played um, you know, a meaningful basketball game in, in nine months. I don't care about preseason. That's, you know, it's, it's tough to get anything out of preseason or, or at least get like strong takeaways from it. When they're playing Wednesday night against Chicago, that's going to be like their actual first game since March 11th, which is when the league shut down. So I think it's going to take it's going to take a little bit of time to, you know, have everybody gel with one another, figure out like where everybody likes to be on the court, figure out like you know for Trey for example, like he has to still figure out like where these guys like the ball when they're passing, some guys like it low, some guys like it high. So, you know, that 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 all takes time to figure out and then, you know, the the training camp leading up to preseason was incredibly short. So I think for this team, it's it's likely going to take some time before we really truly know what this team could be. But again, because of the talent they have now, like they they have a competent team as opposed to what they rolled out last year. Um, You know, I I do think that 37 is is a fair number in my estimation. Yeah, that's probably right. Somewhere around the Wizards area. Seems to be yep. the most most likely. Um, which, if you're Lloyd Pierce, you're losing sleep. I wonder if that's going to count. Have you asked them? Does that count if they make the play-in tournament but don't win it? That does that count as making the playoffs to, to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, the NBA has said that um, those play-in games are technically not the playoffs. Okay. So uh, it doesn't count by the league standards. I don't know about the Hawks standards. I would assume no. Okay. Um, because like, it's essentially like, okay, like say they, say they're the the 10th seed and, and they're mm. playing the seventh seed and they lose that first game and, and that's, that's over with like your season's done. Is that something to write home about? No. So I think for the Hawks, um, you know, what they're looking for this year is, you know, actually making it to the playoffs and, and playing a full series. So um, I think that is something that uh, they're hoping for, but 
just with how um, front-loaded the East is, it's going to be pretty difficult for the Hawks to not be in the play-in tournament just because I, I don't think they're you know, better than teams like Boston, Brooklyn, Toronto, Miami, Milwaukee, um, Philadelphia. So those are six teams right there. So that, that puts you in the play-in tournament. You know, obviously with what what's going on in the world um, with coronavirus, it's definitely possible teams can get sick and, and lose some key guys this year, unfortunately. Um, so that's really like, or, you know, players get injured all the time. So for the Hawks to not be in the play-in tournament, um, something drastic has to happen ahead of them. And obviously you can't predict that, but um, if everybody's healthy, if everybody's not sick, um, I don't think the Hawks can, you know, play their way into a top six seed, which would firmly put them into the playoffs. Mm. The closing lineup for the Hawks will be who in February? Um, I think it's going to be Trey Bogdanovich. Uh, closing lineup, Trey. Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, um, John Collins, probably Clint Capella. Although you know he's a liability when it comes to um, free throws, and you know if it's a close game, you could you know foul him and, and get him to the line. But I think that lineup, um, you, you get two you know rising defenders on the wing in, in Reddish and, and Hunter. Um, I know they gave a lot of money to Bogdanovich, but you know if if they're needing stops defensively, um, it, it would be in you can't their close best with Bogdanovich. Right? I don't I don't see yeah. that. I really don't. Yeah, I mean the offensively it's great and they're a great offensive pairing, but again if you're trying to win and you need to win this win, whatever game that is. Um, First of all, it's probably going to come down to matchups, regardless. Yeah. If the opposing if the opposing team doesn't have like a an electric scoring uh, back backcourt guard, then sure, like you can have Bogdanovich out there with Trey, and it and it probably doesn't matter. But if the team you're facing has um, you know electric scoring options, then you probably want someone who can lock them down and I think Reddish and, and Hunter present the best options for them so I would probably have those two guys if, if that's the case and um, they don't really have a, a good uh, defensive option at the four Collins definitely got better last year but he's he's not anywhere near like being a, a lockdown defender just yet but you have to have him out there because he's really the best option they have Gallinari is on the team now. Danilo Gallinari's on the team, but you know he's obviously not a good defender. So, um, and then at the five, again, they don't really have uh, a trusted option other than Capella. Maybe they can have um, uh, who, who's a maybe they can have uh, Collins at the five, DeAndre Hunter at the four, Cam Reddish at the three. And maybe even Chris Dunn at the two if they wanted. Um, yeah. He hasn't played yet. That I mean, that'll that would give them three really really good defenders. Um, so they they could do that. But I think um, you know just from talking with Boyd Pierce over these past several weeks, um, you know he's excited that he has all these options. I mean, last year he didn't have the luxury of having options, and this year he actually has. Um, several different options depending on who they're playing. So, um, you know, I, I know he's excited for that because this is really the first time where, you know, he can throw out um, a matchup-based lineup as opposed to what he's had to do in his, in his first two seasons as the head coach. You haven't mentioned Kevin Herter yet, which seems like a problem mm-hmm. for Kevin Herter. Um, do you believe he'll be a Hawk this time next year? Um, well, they, they did pick up his, uh, yeah. his team option. So, uh, I, I do think that he, you know, will be on the roster. Um, but because the Hawks are you know very young still, even with their additions, 
Um, you know, they still have several of their first round picks on the roster um, since Travis Schlenk took over as general manager. So it's definitely possible that um, depending on how the season goes, um, I mean, the Hawks, I, I don't know if people know this, but like the Hawks have the pieces now to have a consolidation trade and, and try and get a legitimate superstar to pair with Trey. Yeah. Um, because they have they they have several young players now, they have all of their draft picks moving forward. Um, they have Oklahoma Oklahoma City's pick in 2022, so they have the the draft capital. They have the veteran contracts to match salary, and they ha- have the young pieces um, to make such a trade happen. So I, I would assume that Herder would definitely be in a trade for that. Uh, possibly John Collins because uh, the team didn't agree to an extension um, before done? Monday. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, he's going to be a free agent next year. Um, so you you have someone like Collins who is um, a potential All Star, and Herder who you know definitely can shoot forty percent from three. You have capitals. I mean, they they could swing a, a big trade if they wanted to. It's just a matter of seeing how this season progresses before, you know, making a decision like that. Interesting. Do you think that's going to be a problem? Collins not getting his extension before the season and having uncertainty going on uh, throughout. Do you with just how much money was thrown around? Do you think this is going to be something that looms over uh, the team and John Collins especially? I don't really think so. I mean just from knowing John over these past two years, like he, he's uh, very well liked in the locker room and I cannot really foresee this being an issue just because um, he's not really the, the type of guy to cause a ruckus in the locker room and, and, you know, be uh, pouty over the situation. I, I just don't see that happening. If anything, he, he's probably, Obviously, now he has motivation to absolutely destroy whoever's in front of him every night because he's looking to get a max contract. And if he performs as well as he did last year in in the 41 games that he played, then he absolutely has a case to get that kind of contract that he wants. So if anything, I think that just gives him extra motivation to go out and, and like, you know, get get uh, his money. Because for him, um, you know, if, if he puts up the same production or close to the same production as he did last year, then he has all of the leverage when it comes time to negotiating his contract next offseason. So I, I really don't think it's going to be an issue just because, again, he doesn't have the personality to make it become an issue in the locker room. When Trey and Bogdan share the floor for extended minutes this year, do you think they're going to have a positive point differential by the end of the season? Well, I, I think um, I think they would just because of the fact that um, you know that's one of the better um, offensive pairings in basketball now, just because of the way Trey spaces the floor. Bogdanovich can shoot around 38, 39% from three. Um, and the guys that they have, the guys that they'll have on the court with them too, are, are good complimentary pieces, Collins, Capella, um, either Deandre Hunter or Cam Reddish. So I, I think they have enough offensive firepower to possibly mask the defensive struggles that I think will happen with those two guys on the floor. So I would go with, yes, I don't think it's going to be like, substantially um positive um when we're talking about you know net rating and stuff just because again the fact that they're not going to be able to stop anybody so um but i do think that the guys that they're going to have playing alongside them might be enough to um mask a little bit of their defensive problems that they have on paper so i I do think that they're gonna you know have a positive net rating with those two guys. Who do you think the Hawks are pri- going to prioritize more in their development? DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish this season? 
Um, both. I think both of them should uh, get similar minutes. Um, who do you think I starts? Think, yeah, I was, I was going to say, I don't think it really matters who starts and who doesn't. Just because, again, I, I think that they're going to play similar minutes, you know, 26 to 28 minutes per night. Um, I think to start the season, it's it'll probably be uh, DeAndre Hunter, just because of the fact of what we saw in preseason, where Hunter started all four games and, and Reddish didn't. If Lloyd wants to have uh, Reddish um, start at the two, that's definitely a possibility. Um, I think they would like to have another trusted ball handler on the floor though with Trey, just so, you know, you're not beating him into the ground like they did last year. Um, so if, if that is the case, I think Bogdanovich would start at the two. So, you know, you can have Trey move off ball. I know that's something they want to do. I don't know if, if Trey is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't, it's not willing, but I guess, um, enthused about it. Uh, he didn't really look enthused about um, playing off the ball like we saw in preseason. So, interesting. I think it's, I think it's something that uh, um, they're going to have to work through. I know. I mean, that's one of the, the big reasons why they signed Bogdanovich is they have you know a trusted playmaker on the floor. Yeah. Um, and you know that's that's big when you have two guys who can, you know dribble pass and shoot and they didn't, they didn't really have that last year um kevin herder to some degree but herder um is he's more so he's more of like a, a hot and cold player some games like he's uh you you realize he's on the floor and, and other games it's like where is kevin he's, well that's he's also invisible. deandre hunter as someone who watches every one of these games that is also deandre hunter yeah for sure but the difference is, you know, Hunter, he, he was a rookie and I get Herter was in year two. Yeah. Um, so you're going to, you're going to have those growing pains as a, um, as a rookie. I think from what we saw in preseason with Hunter, I think it's encouraging of how, and again, it is preseason, but I think it is encouraging of how aggressive Hunter was in those four games. And, and it wasn't really something we saw, on a game to game basis with Hunter, because you're right. There would be games where Hunter looked good. And then there would be games where Hunter looked completely lost. And, um, Burns you know, he calories. probably shouldn't have, been, yeah, like he, he shouldn't have been on the floor. So I, I think, um, I think what we saw though, in, in preseason from Hunter and even Cam Reddish is encouraging. I think for the, those two guys in particular, the Hawks are going to, really need those guys to continue developing in a positive direction to reach their full potential this year. Yeah. I'm more of a cam guy. Who are you more of? I, everything comes down to cam with me and what we saw before the stoppage. I was really, really excited about that. And I think ultimately (laughs) their trajectory depends on what cam reddish becomes and Hunter until further notice, Chris, um, he is Harrison Barnes until further notice. So I, I'm good. I, I don't need to see anymore. I'm okay. Even after we're here, I'm good. But uh, do you feel differently about the two? No, I don't, I don't feel differently. I think Radish has the higher ceiling just because, um, you know, he has some uh, play creation equity, whereas Hunter has zero. Yep. Um, so that in just with where, the NBA is currently um, you kind of have to have some sort of play creation ability to have uh, a lot of value. And I think Reddish, even though he isn't like a, a superstar in this category yet, I, I think that, um, you know, he has the ability to grow into a secondary playmaker. Um, whereas I think, Hunter doesn't. And I think that's, that's the big difference. And it's also part of the reason why, um, you know, someone like uh, John is hurt by this. He, John can't dribble, John can't pass. And he's looking for max money that it, that doesn't uh, equate to max money. Like you have to have, you have to have some sort of ability to, 
take over games by yourself if you're looking for a max contract. I think Reddish can get to that point one day. I'm not saying he's going to be a max player, but he has the tools to, you know, take over games one day. Whereas someone like Hunter, I, I can't see that happening. So just based on that, I think uh, Reddish has the higher ceiling between the two of them. I would agree. I would agree. To to wrap up here, uh, Chris, in your in your gut. Is Lloyd Pierce or Nate McMillan the coach of the Atlanta Hawks in May? Um, it's a tough question because there's a lot of heat on Lloyd this year to get the team to the playoffs. Yep. Um, and if they get off to a bad he, start, I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be given some time just because of the fact that he hasn't been given a roster over the past two years that is obviously able to compete on a nightly basis and that's not his fault. Um, I think he has the roster now to, you know, compete nightly, not have as many blowouts as they did last year. Um, so I, I think, I think we'll have a much better idea of the kind of coach Lloyd is this year. Whereas the past two years, it's, it's hard to know exactly what he is. So if the Hawks don't make the playoffs, I think the Hawks will have a new coach next year. Um, if they do make the playoffs, I think Lloyd will be back. And I think it's just that simple, just because of the fact that, um, you know, Lloyd said um, back in March that this team is a playoff team and it, it caught people off guard. I talked to Hawks owner Tony Rustler the other day, um, and he had an interesting comment saying, like, you know, Lloyd didn't check with me about, you know, saying such thing. Um, you know, no one was talking about that inside the organization. Uh, Travis Schlank, the general manager, wrestler, the owner, um, you know, everyone in the front office was kind of caught off guard with Lloyd saying such a thing. And I think for Lloyd, um, you know, he's going to be held to that. You know, when, whenever you say something like that, you're going to be held to it. Whether he likes it or not, that's just the way it goes. Um, you know, people saw that quote. And now that that expectation is out there, someone is going to someone's going to be at fault if the Hawks don't make the playoffs. And there's a clear person to take the blame. And it, and it, and it is Lloyd. But I, I think, again, if, if he does get the scene to the playoffs, um, I think he'll be back. If he doesn't make the playoffs, I think it's simple that he won't be back. All right, Chris, what can we check out from you this week on theathletic.com that uh, your mom can check out with her new <laughs> gift subscription that you're getting here for Christmas? Um, yeah, I mean, like I just mentioned, I, I talked to uh, Hawks owner Tony Ressler, um, and that published, what's today, Wednesday? That published today is on Tuesday. Monday. See, nothing, no, time doesn't matter. It is Tuesday, Chris. <laughs> it is Tuesday. So, yeah, that published yesterday. Uh um, an exclusive inter- interview with wrestler. He, has, he hasn't talked about the Hawks in about a year, at least on the record. Um, and then obviously tomorrow night, uh, opening night against the Bulls, I'll, I'll definitely have something on that and whatever comes to that moving forward for the rest of the week. So we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Well, keep up the great work, sir. I'm excited to read you this season and hopefully a good Hawks season because um, I like Lloyd Pierce and he's good for the city. So I hope things work out. Yep. Um, all right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Have a happy holiday, sir. And uh, we'll check we'll check back in soon. Thanks a lot. All right, we're back on Jonathan Taylor Thomas talks Major League Baseball, Tampa Bay Rays. 2020 season review edition john taylor of fangraphs.com is here john good afternoon sir how are you buenos dias i'm doing pretty good i'm glad to hear it glad to hear it um your best christmas gift in your entire life was what Ooh, that's a good question that is a good question I got a, I got a, I got a PS4 a few years ago. Can't really beat that. Okay, that's a great one. Um, hmm, I don't have to think about that one, but that that's way up there. I just, I don't really remember at this point what I got as a kid, aside from just an assortment of toys, you know. Yeah, 
Um, I don't know mine either. I think it's probably... I don't want to say... Like... The bike that I got, I remember being very excited about getting my mongoose bike as a kid. I remember being thrilled about that, but I also rode that through my neighbor's garage door and got on Channel or Channel Five News for doing so and had to wait in the uh, emergency room for a long time. I, I destroyed my face. Like I went through, I knocked the whole garage door down, John. That's actually kind of impressive how did you do that how fast were you going uh it was i was racing my uh my neighbor down the street and we had a slope um going into our cul-de-sac where i lived and uh we raced to one of my neighbors in the cul-de-sac's driveway and uh i forgot to do this thing they call it stop in in this country and uh i i just forgot to um to do that thing and uh i went head first through the glass and then the body went through the rest of the uh the garage door and i just tore the tore that whole fucking thing down good lord man <laughs> yeah, the best part that was is. because my face was covered with so much blood that uh my neighbor in between us um came rushing over heard the sound i guess and uh thought I was a different kid because he couldn't tell who I was. So he was car- he was taking me up to a different house and I was at- I asked him where he was taking me when he realized that he was he I was the wrong kid. That's horrifying. <laughs> so many levels. How is that much blood? My god. Um Just so much blood. This is uh, uh, hey man, I wanted to start off on a happy note. I, I wanted to start off on a happy note, John. No, you nailed it. Absolutely <laughs> nailed it. I had a friend last night who was just like, I, there's certain things about me. You should have known where this was going. It was like, have you ever seen that uh, show Nathan for you? And I was like, yeah, why do you ask? And he was like, I don't know. It just feels like your brand of comedy. And uh, I was like, I, I don't know what to do with that. But he, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. Um, th- We're going to talk about the Tempe race on this podcast today, John. Um, we could continue talking about uh, bloodbaths that I've taken in my, my life, but um, I think the listeners would prefer we move on to the race. Um, in your estimation, where the Rays stand right now, do you think they lost too much to win the AL East, or at least be favored to win the AL East in 2021? Not necessarily, because all they've lost so far is Charlie Morton who didn't pitch all that much for them last year anyway and was good, obviously, and and Charlie Morton's a good pitcher, and I'm still kind of confused as to why the Rays let him go. He was entirely affordable for for next year, and it's not like they had... Well, he uh, needed to be unavailable for the Braves next year. You you forget. Right. I mean, it's not like he was... was, There are pitching prospects in Tampa beating down the door to, to get into the rotation. You know, this isn't... You know, their top two guys, Brendan McKay and Brent Honeywell, or at least their top two guys from the last few years, are both uh, coming off injuries. Honeywell just had elbow surgery number four, I believe. Um, and McKay was cut down by shoulder injuries last year. Uh, Morton wasn't good last year. Um, below average, below league average on ERA plus, um, mostly because he just had just gave up too many hits. Um, but he's still a useful, good pitcher, even if he can't really stay healthy all that much. But realistically, that's just about all the 2020 Rays lost as far as, or the 2021 Rays have lost from 2020. Um, you know, they brought back Mike Zanino in part because they just didn't really have any other options at catcher. There are some, I mean, they traded away Nate Lau to get some prospects or Nate Lowe, sorry, Brandon Lau, Nate Lowe. And there's another Lowe somewhere in their system too. I was kind of that is nonsense. They can't do that. Can we just go ahead and say they have to they, change they, their, they, one of them has to change their name. They, they can't do that. And they can, and they will. Um, but I, I think with like the thing with Tampa is like, and I think we talked about this before. It's like there really weren't. This really wasn't a team that was built on either uh, veteran guys who were kind of you know reaching free agency, or this, nor was this a situation where it was you know a younger team, but that was reaching kind of the end of their window of team control. It was more just all these guys are just kind of either cheap and just around for a while because they're still on earlier pre-arp contracts. Or there are guys like Blake Snell who've just been locked down for an extended period of time already. Um, I mean, really, you could you could argue that the Rays' second biggest loss behind Charlie Morton last year is Aaron Loop. And that's, I mean, that's not to slag Aaron Loop, who was actually very good last year, but this team's core, in as so much as you can call it a core, is pretty well intact because a lot of these guys are cheap, young, 
and are nowhere near free agency. I mean, you look at the like Austin Meadows, Brandon Lau, Randy Rosarena, Manny Margot, you know, uh, Andy Diaz, those guys are all still very early into their careers, or at least into the, the, the controllable portions of their careers. You know, the only real veterans on this team, like Kevin Kiermaier, who again has been locked up long-term, uh, Snell, who's locked up long-term, Zanino, who's only going to be he's back, who's only going to be paid about 2 or $3 million next year, and Michael Walker, who just seems like a lottery ticket. Because um, the thing is, I think the Rays are pretty comfortable with a rotation of three pitchers to start with and then kind of mix and match beyond that. So, no, I don't really think they're going to miss anyone they've lost. The obvious exception is if they do go ahead and trade Snell, that's going to be a much harder thing for them to to figure out because they're obviously not going to trade Snell and then turn around and sign Trevor Bauer. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't going to be a one-for-one replacement. I don't know what they would get for Snell. I don't know if maybe they'd be targeting major league-ready pitching in exchange to kind of make up for it, but I have a hard time believing whatever they get would make up for it. This isn't going to be, you know, Chris Archer part two where they were moving a clearly declining veteran for two very highly touted players that a bad team couldn't figure out. Um, and also, I, I can't imagine them being able to replicate the success of that trade because, you know, how many, how many times does that situation even crop up? Not to say that Blake Snell would have no market, but I, I have a hard time imagining them getting the same, you know, if, if Mookie Betts got what he got, if Chris Bryant is going to get what he gets, and if Francisco Lindor is going to get what he gets, I don't really see how Snell tops any of them. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, at the very least for Snell, he's under team control, obviously, for longer than either Lindor or um, or Bryant. But at the same time, you know, I'd, I'd rather have Francisco Lindor, I think, than Blake Snell. Regardless, that's a little past the point. I No, I don't think they've lost anyone where, you know, it's going to seriously impact their ability to contend for the AL East. Charlie Morton is not the difference between a division title and second place. It's the question of, are they going to add anything to this core to kind of shore up the floor that they have? And this being the Rays, it looks like the answer is a solid no. They're just not interested in doing that. They'll just roll forward with what they have and hope that they can just unearth. They can just do what they always do, which is just find random dudes in the minors or on the edges of rosters, trade for them, and then just make them superstars because that's they're the best in baseball at doing that. Well, them and the Dodgers. Mm. I feel like they missed their moment. I think this year was like everything fell their way. The Yankees were hurt. The AL Central was still weird. Um, the Twins did it. They went full Twinsy. The A's made the playoffs for the third straight year, but didn't do anything. The Astros overachieved, and they're just letting their wheels come off. This year, it's gonna be Springer. Next year, it's gonna be Correa. Last year was Garrett Cole. Like they're they're going into the the tank with Clink, and um, I I don't know. I think the Rays really may have missed their moment to finally capitalize and obviously lost to the juggernaut and the Dodgers and there's no shame in that but um I don't know for me it really kind of feels like this was their their moment before they do their raise thing and cycle back through this group and uh start over I can understand that um there are two things for me that that kind of make me feel differently one is that they lost to a flat out better team yeah um this wasn't. I don't think this was a situation like the Braves, where they had the advantage. They well, were, hold on. Know, we don't need to do that. We, do, we don't need to. We we could just okay. move past all of that. <laughs> but this was a team where the Dodgers were just, I think, just the better team. And Tampa. I mean, Tampa was only two wins away. And maybe, obviously, the big question that every Rays fan will have going forward for who knows how long is what happens if Blake Snell stays in Game Six um, instead of getting pulled early. But. Regardless of how that you know how that turned out and how the series as a whole turned out, I don't think anyone really felt like you know the Dodgers were you know pulled off an upset or anything. And the other part of that is because again, because the Rays are returning more or less the same group, and because they're so good at getting the most out of whoever they have, it, it feels different to me in that regard. Plus, you have to consider like they still have a fantastic top-notch farm system that sooner or later is going to graduate the number one prospect in baseball in Wander Franco who's going to join that roster and make them that much better. Um, that's a really big thing. And that to me, the, the fact that they do have that farm system, the fact that they do have um, those star, those, you know, would be stars throughout their system. That's what makes me feel like this is kind of a perpetual contention machine. They have also because they don't really have, you know, like I said, a lot of their guys are young. You know, you, you look at their you look at their lineup right now and or their projected lineup. The only two players um, 
and and really it depends on who they're facing. I mean, it depends on on the because they platoon so much. But regardless, uh, the only guys who will be turning thirty, I believe, in during the twenty twenty one season are G Man Choi, or it will be thirty or above during the twenty twenty one season are G Man Choi, Joey Wendell, Kevin Kiermeyer, Mike Zanino, and Yandy Diaz. Most, if not all, of those guys are just not really central to the race success. They're just kind of there. I mean, Troy and Brousseau, Troy and Mike Brousseau platoon at first base. Wendell and Diaz platoon at third. You know, like I said, Zanino is there because the race literally have no other catchers, um, but also because they they value him defensively. And he again, he and Kiermaier are not the fulcrums to the race success. Otherwise, like Austin Meadows is 25, Brandon Lau is 26, Randy Rosarena is 26, Manny Margot is 26, Willie Adam- Willie Adamas is still only 25 years old. Feels like he's been around forever. Blake Snell is 28, Tyler Glasnow is 27. Like they have so much youth on this team. I guess the other the other notable over 30 guys, Nick Anderson, but you know relievers are so fungible that I, I, especially the Rays are so good at just finding relievers that I don't think they're going to worry too much if one of their main guys happens to be a little bit on the older side. Um, there's so many guys who are still theoretically in the, in their prime or approaching their prime, or at the very least young and capable of producing that. I, I think this window is still open. If only because there's, you never got the sense the Rays even tried to like Jimmy a window open. It just kind of opened for them. And it's just going to stay open. So long as they just have this core of young, talented production, um, I guess the thing is, like, you could argue that they could do a better job at making the window wider by actually signing impact-free agents to bolster the team that they have. Uh, but the Rays are never going to do that because they're cheap. So, you know, this is as good as the Rays are going to get, and it's really good. I mean, when you can just unearth someone like Randy Arozarena, who I mean, I should Randy Arozarena is not some out of nowhere Shane Spencer level fluke. The guy was in a, a big signing out of Cuba by St. Louis. He's, a, he's an elite athlete, as we've all learned. You know, his, if his power is for real, this dude is a five-tool star. Um, but at the same time, this, this, you look at the Rays roster, you look at their lineup everywhere, and you just see young guys who are all still in their prime. And so to me, that just feels like, okay, if that's the case, and especially given how much they, just like the Dodgers, how much they get out of stuff like platooning, out of, you know, uh, using the using the right arms from the bullpen and matchup dependent options, like it's not just the players they have; it's that they make their players better by putting them in the best situations to succeed. And if you keep if you do that consistently and you do that well, your team's always not going to outperform expectations, but your team's always going to be a contender if you're smart enough to do that. Yeah. Um, if the Yankees are healthy in 2020, they don't have a lot of issues there. Do we feel the same about the Rays that we do right now? I'm sorry, what was that again? You, you cut out a If the Yankees are healthy in 2020 and they have the season that we thought they were going to have, do we feel the Ray, feel the same about the Rays in 2021? I think... I, I forget exactly what the numbers were, but I'm pretty sure before the 2020 season started and before we, before we knew what the 2020 season was going to turn into, and it still looked like we were going to get a regular 162 game season. I think right around the time Luis Severino's arm blew out, the Rays had a, I'd say a 20% chance to win the division. I think we all agreed that felt right. A one in five shot. The Yankees were the better team, especially over a long haul, but that the Rays were good enough to challenge them and could beat them, you know, every now and then. The Yankees, obviously, there's a lot they still need to do. They need to either re-sign DJ LeMahieu or figure out a different path. They need to add some starting pitching. Um, and there's always a question of how healthy they're going to be. But I do think a healthy Yankees team that keeps DJ LeMahieu and adds some starting pitching is probably your division favorite. But the Rays are right there. And I think it will, even even as good as the Yankees can be, and I think the Yankees have a much higher ceiling than the Rays do because of the, just the pure star like star talent on the Yankees. You know, the Rays don't have anyone on the level of Aaron Judge or Garrett Cole, as far as I can tell. So, you know, if everything breaks right for the Yankees, yeah, they win the division. But in an actual normal world where things don't always break right, and that's and that's the that that is the that is what the Rays do. They just they hang around because they just they don't rely I mean not that the Yankees rely on one player or five players or whatever, but the Rays are just this 
they're like the T one thousand. They just are constantly coming for you because they just they they don't they lose pieces and they just immediately replace them. Mm-hmm. And those and those replacement pieces are somehow just as good. You know, there are a few guys on this roster where if they got hurt and missed like the entirety or, or most of the season, yeah, Tampa Bay's in trouble. If they go down Blake Snell or Tyler Glasnow, that's a problem. If they lose a Rose, if a Rosarine is for real and they lose him, that's a problem. Um, but otherwise, like they they just keep churning right along, and I think that's what gives them such a. I think that's what makes me confident that they can re- regularly compete with a much higher priced team in their own division because they're just so good at filling holes. They're so good at just chugging right along without missing a beat when something goes wrong. Their top two pitching prospects have basically not pitched, like, at all in the major league level, despite the fact that both of them have been in their system for the last three years. And they're fine. It doesn't matter. How how many guys did they lose to injury last year? How many pitchers just went down for them, and they still were within two wins of a World Series championship? It's crazy how good they are. They lost a trade last year, the Hunter Renfro trade, where they gave up Tommy Pham and, more importantly, Jake Cronenworth for a really bad year of Hunter Renfro. They flat-out lost that trade. That's like the first trade I think the Rays have lost in like three years. didn't matter. It'll matter going forward, maybe. But it did matter in 2020. That's how good the Rays are. They can lose a trade like that. They can lose a trade where they lose the guy who finished, I believe, third in the NL Rookie of the Year voting. And it's like, all right, fine, whatever. We'll just keep doing our thing. Yeah, that's a that a fundamentally like it's a, it's a it's a crazy organization, but they just they just keep doing it. And again, you look at they never lose. They never seemingly lose anyone who actually matters. Yeah, I'm just losing. I'm looking at their free agents: Chaz Rowe, Oliver Drake, you know, Kevin Smith. Okay, fine. Like, oh, the Rays will be fine. Meanwhile, they have a prospect list of Wander Franco and Vidal Brujan and, and, and Josh Lowe. There's the other Lowe. And Shane Baz, like, top prospects all the way around. They have the best farm system in baseball. Or one of the best farm systems in baseball. I think that, to a certain degree, they've kind of lost. Especially now, once, once, once Randy Rosarena graduates, because he's not officially graduated off prospect list. Um, that'll obviously take a ding out of their value. But at the same time, like, you have a farm system that good that just plugs holes easily and, again, has the number one prospect in baseball in it. Yeah, like you're I, – I don't necessarily feel like they're – like I don't, think, I don't think last year was a fluke in the sense of like, oh, no, the Yankees are just going to you know, roll right back over and now they're, now they're healthy and they're going to just you know, go back to being dominant. It's like, no, I genuinely think like um, – I genuinely think the, the Rays can obviously hang. and I don't, I don't see why not. Yeah. Do you think Brandon Lowe will lead the team, the the offense in WAR in twenty twenty one again? Uh, if he plays the full season and he's actually as good as we think he is, it's a Rosarena. Mm. Um, just because he's both he's great at everything. Like he really legitimately is like a five tool player: speed, arm, defense, contact, five power, ten. You all love of it. it. He's a, he's a very, very good player. Um, the thing with Lau is I, he just swings. Well, no, we're not doing that. Up. We're doing low. We're not, they're not both. We're not doing Lau and low. Uh, I refuse in this podcast. We we're we not doing Lau do, and low. They're both low. We, we, don't, we don't have to do Lau and low because Nate Lowe is on the Rangers now. Oh, that's true. That is true. Yes, we can, we can just do Brandon Lau, which okay. is what his name is. That's fine. I, I'll allow it. Brandon uh, Lau. I mean, I really like Brandon Lau. He's a good hitter. He just swings and misses a lot. And I think that I was like, no, that doesn't like, you know, doesn't mean you can't be a good hitter. It just means that to me, I, I just, I want to know just what happened to him in, in the second half of the season, or the, the quote unquote second half, you know, down the stretch when he just kind of fell apart and then was terrible in the playoffs. I, I don't know. Maybe there was some injury issue there. Maybe it, it was just a, a poorly timed slump. Um, but I think if there's, if there's a guy, he's probably the most consistent hitter on this team. Um, just in terms of what you can probably expect on the plus side. I mean, there are other guys who are consistent, but you're just, you know what you're going to get. It's going to be basically league average offense from like Kevin Kiermaier or G-Man Choi. Um, but I think a Rosa Rain is probably the guy with the highest upside because his tools are just stupidly loud. Um, and, you know, over the course of a single two-month stretch, he basically raised his profile from, all right, this guy could be a good utility guy to, holy crap, he's actually like a legitimate major league caliber starter. So 
I would I would gamble that if he plays the full season, that your Rosarena is probably your war leader on this team among the position players. Lau is a good is a good option too, and probably the dark horse is someone like Austin Meadows, who had a really bad 2020, um, but certainly has like Rosarena has all the tools to to change that. Yeah, that's fair. We've talked about we've kind of danced around Blake Snell. He's been talked about like whether or not he will be a part of this Rays team for the next couple of years. Um, if you're running the Rays right now, do you trade Blake Snell? I mean, as always, it depends on what you're being offered. It depends on why you would want to trade Blake Snell. I mean, the easy thing to say about the Rays trying to trade Blake Snell is the Rays are cheap and they just don't want to pay Blake Snell anymore, which, well, yeah, that's kind of their thing. Um, he's under contract for three more years at entirely reasonable rates. He's owed a grand total of about $40 million over the next three years. Um, after that, he'll be a free agent, and I and that will be the end of his time in Tampa, almost certainly. So if you're the Rays, you know, maybe you feel like, what can we get that's worth more than three more years of Blake Snell, knowing, knowing not only that he's gone after those three years, but that he's getting increasingly expensive over these three years. I mean, expensive, quote-unquote, expensive for the Rays. Not knowing what is out there in terms of, you know, whatever the packages might exist or what the Rays have discussed or what they're, what they're even targeting, I can't really say for sure, like, I would trade Blake Snell. Like, in a vacuum, I would not trade Blake Snell. I would just let him ride it out because the odds of you being able to find a starting pitcher who's as, at least, if not as good as Blake Snell, at least has the ceiling that Blake Snell has, uh, seems pretty low to me. Or at least, especially if, if free agency is just not an option for you at all. And for the Rays, it just isn't unless you sign guys like Michael Walker just as kind of lottery tickets. You, where are you going to get that starter from? Are you maybe? I mean, and that's the thing. Maybe there's maybe there's secondary trade discussions in the works. Other teams to target some of those younger starters, you know, who maybe some maybe they're a la Tyler Glasnow, who the Rays have identified as this guy has a shit ton of talent, but there's something either there's not the development's not working or he needs a change in scenery or we've identified something we think can make him great, so we want to target him. Um, you know, that's, what the, that's what the Rays did with Glasnow. They, they changed some of his pitch. They, changed, they worked with his pitch arsenal. I'm sure there was the requisite uh, Houston-style, you know, throw your fastball here instead of there, you know, do this with your curveball instead of this, like, you know, the, the, the standard stuff. But the Rays are so good at identifying that stuff. So, I mean, if they have a trade or if they can get a trade lined up for a Glasnow-level starter who's kind of just you know, floundering with another team. I mean, maybe it's something like a Matt Boyd um, on Detroit, who seems like he could use a, a change or at least a, a different voice. I mean, I don't, I'm just throwing Boyd out there. I don't know his contract status off the top of my head. Cause that's the other thing with the Rays is they're not going to trade for a guy. They're not going to trade Snell who's three years away from free agency and trade for a starter who's two years away from free agency. That's just, that's not even kicking the can down the road. That's kicking the can behind you. Yeah. It's making things harder. So, I mean, I can't say, I mean, I, I think in terms of contending in 2021, it would be a mistake to trade Blake Snell because I, I have a hard time imagining Tampa is going to find a, a replacement starter at his level, um, especially, again, if they're not taking part in free agency. But, I mean, on a purely financial and I guess on a purely raised level, I can understand that if you really do feel like, no, we don't want to pay $12 million next season to a guy who in three years time is gone. You know, if, if they feel it's more efficient to spread that $12 million around to three or four different players instead, well, who's to argue with that? I don't like it. Just pay your damn stars. Like they you need star players. You can't just be all role players, but I can certainly see the financial argument on Tampa side of this money can be more efficiently used. Problem is, I don't even know if it's about more efficiently using the money or about just pocketing some of the money and just running a lower payroll because sometimes I really do think for as good as Tampa is and for as much as they have built a team that can contend, sometimes I almost feel like it's a happy accident that Tampa contends because I really don't think the goal of this of the of Tampa Bay's ownership is to contend regularly. I think it's just run a payroll under $50 million, profit as much as possible, and if we win in the process, great. I really sometimes feel like at least Tampa Bay's ownership, I can't say about their front office, but sometimes I really feel like Tampa Bay's ownership does not give a single shit what happens on the field. So long as it happens cheaply and with a minimum amount of fuss, 
because Tampa Bay's ownership is very clearly focused on other things, like trying to swindle the people of, of Hillsborough County out of money for a stadium or trying to swindle the entire city of Montreal out of money for a stadium in some cockamamie half-baked two-town scheme that makes no sense whatsoever because the ownership is too cheap just to build a new stadium. This is the frustrating thing about the Rays. On the surface, they should be so easy to root for. They are like every Little League dad's dream. A team of mostly anonymous scrappers and grinders and dudes who play hard, and there's some, there's some cool athletes on there like a Rosarena and Glasnow. I don't actually like watching Snell pitch because he just takes forever and he's really inefficient. But Rosarena's cool, Glasnow's cool, Brandon Lau is cool. And yet at the same time, they're just like the worst, like not the worst, but they're just the embodiment of so many things that are wrong with this sport. You know, they are, they are just the embodiment of all the awful finance, like, like um, all the awful finance thinking and like, and all that, like, I guess, post moneyball stuff that has turned baseball into just winning is not the point. Winning is just a nice thing on the way to making some money. And I know that baseball has always been about making money. Baseball is not a charity, you know, but it's just frustrating with the Rays. Like, if you're a Rays fan, like, I know there are some Rays fans um, who have just bought deeply into what Tampa does and will defend it to the, to the death no matter what it means for their viewing experience. You know, you never get you – can, it's like being an, a, an A's fan. You can never get attached to anyone. Your stadium is a piece of shit, you know. Nobody actually takes your team seriously or respects you. So I can understand, too, that there's probably a really big underdog slash chip on the shoulder mentality that a lot of them have. But I do feel like there have to be race fans who are just like, why can't this team just spend? Why can't they just give money to good players and build a team that is going that is a favorite to win the World Series as opposed to a team that needs every not everything to break right, but that needs things to break right to win a World Series? Shouldn't that be the point? I don't know. I, I, the Rays frustrate me. I, it, it's hard. To, it's weird to talk about them because on the one hand, you want to praise them for all the smart and, and, and cool stuff they do because they're genuinely a really smart baseball team. But on the other hand, you're like, why are you just such cheap weirdos? <laughs> just spend money. Just go sign good free agents and be a good team. And it's so frustrating in that regard where you're like, you, you have tied one hand behind your back on purpose. Because all you care about is making is 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 not losing money or making money or whichever it is. And we we will we have no idea what Tampa Bay's financials are, obviously. But yeah, I I just find the Rays distasteful in that regard. <laughs> I just like I said, they embody a lot of things that I hate about the current state of Major League Baseball and the and the current state of team building and team maintenance and all that and all that jazz. Where there, there shouldn't be any conversation about trading Blake Snell. There's no point. It doesn't make you better for 2021 unless you pull off another Chris Archer level heist, which is probably not going to happen because that was a unique confluence of events, including the fact that the pirates are a bone stupid team, or at least were at the time. I don't know if they're any smarter now with Ben Charrington in charge, but certainly they were just flailing at that point. It's really hard to imagine how you trade Blake Snell and get better. Because the point isn't getting better. The point is just getting cheaper. You know, maybe you can make, like I said, maybe you can make a case that, you know, you, you, the money you save by trading Blake Snell, you can use on three other dudes and combined, they basically provide what Snell did or better. And maybe you get a good prospect too out of it and whatever, blah, 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 blah. You come out ahead anyway. Fine. Whatever. If that's the calculus, that's the calculus, but shit, it's depressing. It's real. It'd be really depressing if a team that won the pennant, and was two wins away from a World Series, just turns around and goes, okay, we don't need this guy anymore. He's just he's too expensive now. Because that's literally the only reason to do it. It's just that he's too expensive now. Like, there, there'd be no difference between that and what the Marlins did post-97 and, again, post-2003. It's just not as – they just you – know, obviously, the Rays aren't going to go into a fire sale because they don't have a lot of expensive veterans. But, like, I don't really see the baseball reason. I mean, you can see the baseball reason behind it, but it's a very cynical baseball reason. I just wish this game had less of that cynicism in it. Just build a good team and try to keep the good team together if you can. Who cares if it's going to cost you $2 million more million? Like, Stuart Sternberg doesn't have that money? Ugh, raise. Sorry, I, was, I got, got kind of tangenty, but I just, they, they frustrate me a lot, you know, and 
I, I don't like the idea that they basically propagated the belief that like the way to succeed in baseball is you just tank your payroll and just try to build a super farm system because it's boring. And it's not just boring. It, it's just it's anti-labor as hell. It's part of it's part and parcel of why baseball is in this current labor situation mess that's going to create a lockout in, in a year's time. So the Rays, the, the font of all evil in Major League Baseball. <laughs> oh my god. That was great. That was that was very good, John. That, that, was, that was one of your my favorite rants. You actually had a more severe rant about the Rays than you did the Red Sox, which I was not expecting. Well, the funny thing is the Rays are in part are in part why the Red Sox are what they are now because John Henry saw what they were doing. It's like, I want to do that. <laughs> that's, that's all it was. He, he hired Heim Bloom because he saw what the Rays were doing, brought Bloom in and was like, okay, you're going to do exactly what you did there, here, with a little bit more money. Good luck. And that's it. That's, and that's like that, that – that mindset is a poison. Why can't owners just spend more? They have so much money. Why do they need to spend less? Ugh. Just spend more money. Spend money. Spend money. That's the, it's the easiest way to be good is just spend money. Money costs nothing. All these teams have more money than God. <laughs> um, which naturally brings us to what happened to Austin Meadows in 2020. What do you think? I remember when we were previewing this season that, like, oh, Meadows could be the X Factor here. He could be an AL MVP type. And uh, he was not. He could be. He definitely wasn't. Um, As far as I can tell, a lot of it just seemed like for whatever reason, um, and then I don't know because I haven't talked to Austin Meadows, obviously, he really just seemed like he got really beat by fastballs. Couldn't time him up, couldn't square him up. Um, his swing and miss percentage on that pitch jumped a lot. So his overall swing and miss percentage, he had a lot more pop-ups, a lot more kind of weak fly balls. His launch angle spiked up, which just makes me think he was, again, just getting beat on fastballs. Um, the nice thing is, or the good thing is for him, that seems like a fixable problem, assuming that he's not getting beat because his eyesight has suddenly deteriorated or something. Um, so I, I'd like to – I would bet on a, on a Meadows rebound so long as they figure out whatever it was that was plaguing him. And some of that might just be, like, the weirdness of the season, you know, just the stop and – excuse me, the stop and start nature of it. Maybe he, maybe he's one of those guys who just needs to see more video. Uh, maybe he's one of those guys who just needed a, a more kind of routine and regular um, preparation period. But that, to me, at least for my, for my untrained eyes, that looks like the major problem to me is that just he could not handle fastballs. And so the nice thing is we'll be able to see pretty soon or pretty early on into next season if that's still a problem. If it isn't, though, I mean, I, I still agree with what we were talking about preseason. It's the, dude has MVP, it's the dude has MVP potential because, again, he's one of those, like, multi-tool stars. Eh, maybe not as so much defensively. He's not great defensively. But as a hitter, it, it, it's all there. And you saw that too in 2019. And again, that's, that's of course why we came into 2020 saying this is a real like dark, dark horse MVP. I think it's still there. So long as they figure out whatever the issue was with the fastballs. Uh, I th- he also got hurt toward the end of the year. And that also tanked him in the playoffs, which obviously just didn't help. I, I just don't think, I don't think Meadows really had a chance to kind of get, a get really into any kind of rhythm or routine during the season, which is probably true of a lot of players. And I would like to think that given a full off season, given, you know, hopefully we get a 162 game season or something close to it, you know, that things will be a little more, a little better for him. And then you got to remember too, he only, he only played the equivalent of like basically a month of baseball. You know, that's, you know, an extra three months of good numbers would have just would have ended up wiping that out. So I, I'm, I'm still optimistic on him. I think it's just a matter of, you know, a full season of, of, of routine and, and preparation and all that and staying healthy would probably do him uh, some wonders. Yeah, I'm interested to see what uh, 2021 looks like for him. Um, so wrap up here, John, on the Tim Bay Rays. Uh, what is the most Rays type shit that they can do this winter? Trade Blake Snell. That's, that's just the most Rays thing. If they trade Blake Snell after coming within two wins of a World Series, like, well, that's just the Rays, isn't it? That's that's so Rays. That's Rays things. Um, 
Yeah, the, the most phrased thing they can do is make the 2021 team uh, cheaper and worse at the same time. Wor- at least worse, immediately worse, maybe better long-term and possibly even short-term, depending on who they get. But that is just kind of the raise ethos, where it's just like, it really does have that kind of smartest guys in the room feel to it, where it's just like, we know there's that there's that wonderful um, old Sam Miller tweet that always every time the Rays make a move that always pops up, which is um, love this trade for the Rays. Who did they get? and Who are they giving up? Like, and that that is just like, and that's the way a lot of I think people approach the Rays too. Is that like, well, they clearly they see something we don't. You know, it's that whole idea of like, they're, well, they're clearly just smarter than the rest of us. So when they do something like trade Blake Snell or sign Michael Waka or whatever else, it's like, well, they must they must know something. And they probably do. I'm sure that they saw something with Michael Waka, for example. I mean, he has a really good changeup, if nothing else, that makes them think, okay, here is something we can work with. Let's do X, Y, and Z, or suggest X, Y, and Z. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, well, it was only three million bucks. Who cares? So, but at the same time, it's like something like this, something like a Snell trade would just be one of those ultimate, like go to hell type things. Like we, we clearly are just smarter and know more and we can get away with, with this because we just, this is just what we're good at. Fine. And that, and that would just be extremely raised, not just moving Snell because he's cheap, but also moving Snell because they're so confident they can replace what he does for cheaper and maybe even get better out of it and also get better in the future. And, and again, this is what frustrates me about the race is on the one hand, that's just really smart team building because when you don't have a payroll that can compete with the Yankees, that's the kind of shit you need to do, but they don't have a payroll that can compete with the Yankees because they choose not to. And that's not to say Tampa can run a $200 million payroll or whatever it is. The Yankees do. They obviously can't and maybe not can't, but like that it's much harder for them because they don't have the same revenues as far as we know that the Yankees do. That being said, this is a choice, as is with every major league team and the payrolls they run and the decisions they make. It's all a choice. No one is making them do this. No one is making the Rays spend less money on their roster than some NHL teams do on theirs. You know, that is a a conscious decision on their part to run the cheapest roster possible that is still a contender. And like I said, sometimes I feel like I don't like Tampa Bay ownership doesn't even care if they contend Mm. just so long as the roster is cheap. If they contend in the process, great. And if they don't, well, what are you going to do? Not as if there's a really big fan base there to disappoint. Um, so that's, so that's why I feel like a Snell trade is the most racing because it just, it just, it is, a full expression of their entire mindset and their kind of gross mindset that has just taken over all of baseball at this point. That is, you don't have to spend as much money as you used to. Why would you spend less and spend smarter? And while I agree with spend smarter, the problem with spend smarter is it always, always, always translates into spend less. And that's just a shame because there's no reason for baseball teams to spend less. They have the money, you know, and the only reason they spend less is, well, because they just don't feel like it. And in part because owners are just con- have been waging a decades-long battle now against organized players, or against the, against the players and against the players' union, and against organized labor, because they just want to take the game back to, like, 1963, if at all possible. Not like, I mean, I mean Jerry Reinsdorf might literally want the game to go back to 1963, but I think most owners are, are on board with that idea of, like, well, the players have too much power and make too much money, so let's just let's follow Tampa Bay's model of just Rosters built entirely of cheap pre-arb or early arb players, and we can lock the veterans out basically. And so that's why, again, I, I have a hard time feeling good about Tampa or praising them too fully because of the end because of the end result because of what they've created in the process. And it's not just them. Obviously, Houston was a big part of that. The Cubs, the Dodgers, they, they all had a, a hand in this. And of course, you know, with the Dodgers, there is the Tampa Bay connection and Andrew Friedman, but. I don't know. It, it, it feels weird to praise a team that is It is right to praise the Rays for being smart and good. But then the problem is they are smart and good because they do things that are just purely anti-labor and just purely about the financial side of things as opposed to the competitive side of things. And baseball is a worse game when owners, are, when, when owners and teams and fans are thinking more about payroll than they are about wins. You know, and that's, 
I, I hope that changes. I don't think it will because once you introduce the concept to owners of you can have a good team for less than you thought, you, there's no real undoing that particular. You, you don't really uncross that bridge. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, that that's the most raised thing they can do is trade away Blake Snell, you know, a year after, right after almost winning a World Series and then just not replacing him really. Because that's the thing. They're not going to sign Trevor Bauer. You know, they're not going to sign James Axton. They're not going to sign... Are there even any other good starting pitchers left on the market at this point? I feel like it's just Bauer, honestly. I think it is just Bauer. But, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 where I, that's where I stand on the raise. Mm. Clearly a huge fan over here. Clearly a huge fan. Um, where are we going next week, John? Who? What division well, would you like to go to in the AL? Guess we might as well just keep moving across and go to the Central, huh? Yeah, we should go to the Central. Who do you? I feel like the White Sox might blow your gasket. I don't know if we can talk about the White Sox first in the Central. I don't know if you can handle that. The White Sox are the White Sox are a deeply, deeply complicated team. The problem is everyone else in the AL Central is really, really depressing. So I'm not entirely sure because I don't know that I want to talk about Cleveland because Cleveland's going to be even worse. Like. The whole thing with Cleveland is what are they doing with Francisco Lind- Like, where is Francisco Lindor getting traded to? And once they do that, it's just the understanding that Cleveland's going to go into, like, a kind of two- to three-year-long mini-rebuild. Because there's, there's no way they're they're going to be good without him. And so what does that leave? I guess we talk about the Twins. Twins are fun. I kind of want to talk about Long the Royals. The you want to talk about the Kansas City Royals. I really do. Can we talk about the Royals, John? All right, let's. Let's talk about the, why not? Let's talk about the Kansas City Royals. Okay. Why the hell not? Thank you. Thank you. Let's do it. Mike Matheny's own. The Kansas City Royals. For that guy up there in New York City, for myself down here in Knoxville, Tennessee. The New York of the South, as they call it, folks. Um, that no, is all I've got. No ever <laughs> that is all I've got. John, thank you as always. Happy holidays, my friend, and we will talk next week. You too, man. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.